Welcome to the CEO After Dark show, a show dedicated to finding how top business leaders became who they are today. I'm your host, George Capernaros. I'm the CEO of Yocto, one of the world's top email and SMS marketing agencies. Join me as I interview some of the smartest CEOs, CMOs, and other top leaders in the e-commerce and digital business space and go deep into the steps and journey that brought them to where they are today, the positive, the negative, and everything in between, so you can learn from what they did well and avoid the mistakes they made along the way. And we are live. Today, I'm joined with Bastian Kronert. I hope I say this correctly. A person I really admire a lot, a person I've worked together for some time, and the person that has achieved what I often hear about in the online space, but actually don't really see too much in the real world of, building a great community, a passionate community, which is called Mahmoud Mars. Bastian, would you like to shortly introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, I mean, pronouncing my name for you is practically impossible. I totally understand that. So correct pronunciation would be Bastian Krunert Ferron. <laughs> and uh, it's actually one part German, one part French, my last name. And I'm an entrepreneur originally from Germany. Most of my time I spent in Mexico and I've started a few projects. My current one and most successful one is called Mammut Marsh. And it's a series of events that we have in Germany, Austria, Denmark, next year also in Spain. And it's basically extreme hiking that hasn't really been a sport and that we we basically we we started almost like a little hype like a little um new um hiking revolution you could say to turn it into a new sport which is extreme hiking and around that we have a really great community which you already mentioned george can can you define what you mean extreme hiking because i think the context is important here so that people really understand what you mean because it really is extreme actually yeah so Actually, like, let me just start with a quick story. So me and my co-founder started this. One of my co-founders started this. We basically set the challenge for ourselves. We wanted to try out if we can hike 100 kilometers. So here's the extreme in 24 hours. So 100K, 24 hours. And yeah, we did it. We suffered immensely, but afterwards we felt really happy and <laughs> was a was a big success. And so this is this is how it started. So extreme hiking, the first event we had was 100 kilometers in 24 hours. And now we also have shorter distances. So the shortest one we have is 30 kilometers. We do have marathon distances, so the 42 kilometers and everything in between. So typically distances that people have to hike in one go. We have supply posts where they get food, where they get medical attention if needed, where they get water, where they can rest. But apart from that, many people ask me, oh, do they sleep or is it like an excursion? No, it's like a, you can compare it to a marathon. So it's like a marathon, but hiking. Would you say that there is a need to prepare for it, like to train for it, or can anyone with enough willpower do it? Well, the short ones, most people, yes. So everybody who's, who's um, healthy and in reasonable shape can do 30 kilometers, can do the marathon distance, 42 kilometers. But for 100K, 100 kilometers, 
we have larger fail rates. <laughs> so that's that's not not something that I would recommend with zero preparation. You need to know a little bit about the equipment you're using, a little bit about um, how you're approaching the hike. But in general, I think everything you do, it's a smart way to start with something easier and then take it to the more advanced levels, right? So start with a 30K and then pick it up from there. I think it's generally a pretty smart approach when you're starting in, in extreme hiking. I commit publicly. I like doing uh, stupid things. I will do the 100K the first time. Even if I die, I will do it during this year. I commit publicly. Nice. Um, okay. So you're going to come to Germany? I will. Yes, I will. I want to do this. And I'm going to, if, nice. if I do this, I'm going to do the nice. big one. Because for me, like, if you're going to do this, you better go all the way. Like, that's how I see it. I'm in reasonable shape. I think it should be okay. I might cry, but I'm going to still finish. <laughs> Crying is okay. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I suppose everybody kind of regrets it while they're doing it. But then at the end, it's worth it. Exactly, yeah. Probably. So tell me, because... There's a lot to talk about Mahmoud Mars, but I also want to see like the background story because you mentioned you've done other projects, you've had co-founders, like how did you, what were you doing before? Let's put it like that. And how did you arrive at this idea to challenge yourselves and like try this the first time? And then how did that even become a business idea? Was it because you liked it and said other people will also? How did that story happen? So I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, so I never wanted to do anything else. So for me, it was always pretty clear, like already at school when I was reading the newspaper and there was some story, oh, there's now this technology. I was always thinking in possibilities. I was always thinking in, ah, what can you do with it? What can you do to solve that issue? So I always had this idea that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I never had the idea that I was going to be an employee. And so at uni, I studied business, which it's hard to say how useful it is to become an entrepreneur because I have done it and I've become reasonably successful as an entrepreneur. So I cannot say don't study business, it's not going to help. But in general, I didn't feel like it's an by no means necessary condition. And it's also so much wasted time. But I did study business administration and Already during my studies during uni, I always walked around with a little notebook and I always wrote down, especially like the last half of my studies, always wrote down business ideas, which I recommend to everybody who's interested in starting their own business because people a lot of the time they say, ah, I don't have the right idea. Well, then start developing the idea finding mechanism. So I always walked around with a notebook, always wrote down every single business idea I could think of. Good, bad, didn't matter. And so right after university, I started my first business. And it was actually another one we kind of started in Germany. So we were the first ones to offer virtual personal assistants in Germany who do all sorts of supportive tasks for customers still on the market now. And I'm just not involved in the operations anymore. Still a shareholder, but not in the day-to-day -day business. And with that one, that was already an innovation. So I'd, for some reason, I always started these innovative kinds of projects that redefine a bit of an industry. And so I did that for like actively working on it for the first couple of years. So after uni, for the first 
year or two, I would say it started working pretty much right away. And back then, I firmly believed in no budget marketing. So this one, I started with zero marketing budget and everything by by being creative, by working with the press, by doing the predecessor of influencer marketing, which was blog marketing back then. So I wrote guest posts for different blogs i even managed to get some at least one article into a book that was published and so that kind of very creative generally zero budget kind of marketing but really created a hype with that one already so at some point i was completely it's like the problem that most people would wish for i was completely overwhelmed with new customers <laughs> so it was we we had a publication in one of the biggest German uh, like business magazines, like a monthly magazine with like 150,000 readers or so back then. And afterwards, obviously, like, we had like a four-page story in there. And afterwards, of course, like we just kept receiving inquiries and inquiries and inquiries. And when I say we, at that point, it was really just me because the guy I originally co-founded it with left basically two weeks before it took off it was just he didn't feel well he was he was insecure with the whole idea of not knowing uh how it was going to go so he left and back then i was living in berlin i, I remember i was I, I didn't even have a desk so i was sitting on an, an on an ironing board and i had this ironing board and like a folding chair that was my desk how i started the the first business and like all my stuff was still in boxes spread out on the floor and like complete, you know, chaos, just like my business, just everything getting started. And yeah, but back then also I managed to create a lot of hype for the project and it completely took off and it completely went through the roof. And at some point I had six, 700 inquiries from new customers that I hadn't even replied to because I was so overwhelmed. So they just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And I had to build the service first and foremost before the article. I'd been working with like two freelancers who had like a few hours a day <laughs> working for me. And so then I founded a company in Bulgaria and like different types of new ways to find employees. So, but yeah, to keep it on the marketing side, like back then, we already managed to to create a lot of hype around the project and basically with zero marketing budget, got the whole project going and pretty much created a lot of hype for it. And so in that project, like really actively, I was involved for, yeah, for quite some years, but I couldn't really say when definitely for the last couple of years, my partner is taking care of everything and our employees are taking care of everything in that one. So I'm now able to fully focus on Mammut Marsh. And Mammut Marsh, we did it, uh, the 100 kilometers, in 2007. And it was just a stupid boy's idea, you know, like just this kind of thing. Ah, can we do 100K in 24 hours? Just like boys, you know, like to challenge themselves. And we, we kind of, we just... It just felt like we had to try out if we can do this or not. It was just the, the challenge was there, so we had to try it out. And then it was a Friday evening. I called my friend, Philip, and asked him, Hey, Philip, what do you think tomorrow? <laughs> do you want to hike 100K tomorrow? So that's how like short-term and also unprepared it was. Did you have a path? 
like, did you have a specific destination or did you just start walking and just kept on walking? Yeah, we did. Like, like that was 2007. In 2007, there, I'm not even sure if there were GPS, uh, definitely no smartphones, probably GPS devices to track a route. So we picked a route before. Here in Germany, you have many um, like marked routes that you can hike. And some of those are longer, and you can uh, use some some of the the legs of a of a longer route. And so we we picked one that had a hundred kilometers, and then like super unprepared, literally. I was I was in sneakers. Uh, we didn't have enough water for the whole thing, but we we called some friends or, or before we asked some friends if they could bring us some food. So like at kilometer thirty and. 70 something friends like came with a scooter and brought us some brought us cooked us one one friend cooked us some pasta in the park and when i was passing out falling asleep on the ground <laughs> and yeah this is how that started and then it's really really hard i'm telling you you will see when you <laughs> when you do it's really really hard i'm gonna do it and especially because it's yeah <laughs> i believe you and it's it's because it's such a long time you know it's 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 really challenging it's really hard and so right afterwards, we had zero interest in even thinking of doing this again. So it, it was a few years later when we sat down in Berlin in a bar in the southeast of Berlin and decided, oh, why don't we do it again? Why don't we try this Mammut Marsh thing again, this extreme hike again? And at that point, I was already an entrepreneur. So I was like, ah, let's give it a name. Let's build a little landing page. So basically overnight, we came up with the name Mammut Mars. It just clicked. And I built a little landing page overnight. And this is how we started. So first event was 17 people and took it from there. Like started it like super, super small and built it into the project it is today. For me, what has been kind of the most shocking thing at the beginning of when we first met, you mentioned to me that the community is quite passionate. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, everybody says that. Everybody believes that. You know, like I was like, sure, I've heard this before. Uh, but then you, you say that some people are actually tattooing uh, the, the mammoth on their skin. I'm like, wow, so something is different. And then the more we actually work together, the more I saw that it was true. I'm not going to mention any specific numbers, but the engagement that the content and the, like, the, the campaigns that we do gets is above and beyond what almost every other brand I've seen uh, gets. So for me, there's this gap, and I think the bridge might be this hype thing that you mentioned you had in the previous project also. There's this gap between having this idea, which is extreme hiking, and then actually having this almost fanatical community that really loves this thing and like talks about it, brings their friends, etc. How did this part happen? I think the number one thing is I believe in in every in every project in every whenever you think product service whatever like creating anything um that you want to offer to people I would always first of all ignore any type of business implications completely and I would fully focus on how can I create something that people really, really, truly desire and really, really, truly can become obsessed about. And so how do you do that? You, you create massive value for people. Value is the, the word that as entrepreneurs we use the most. So, you, But it's, I think it's the foundation of everything. So first of all, focus on creating 
massive, massive value in the product, in the service, in the very thing you're doing. And in our case specifically, what we do is we give people something they've never experienced in their lives. And it's it's very very important and very particular how how you how you design that um, specifically. In our in our case, is that we push people to their boundaries, we push them to their limits. And in today's societies, generally, we don't do that. The thing that's encouraged is more the opposite. The thing that's encouraged is more the comfort, the uh, stay safe, the and I, ex- I experience that in many in many of the things I do. I'm a free diver as well, so I hold my breath and I dive in, into the depth in the ocean and in, in lakes and stuff like that. And my parents tell me, and <laughs> I can understand why they would tell me that. They say, "Stop doing that. Why would you do that? Do something else. Play soccer." <laughs> Or I do ice baths. Yesterday, like now, I'm in Germany for for Christmas, and yesterday I went into the lake and took took an ice bath. And uh, once again, like most people will tell you, "What the fuck? Don't do that." And but it's it's just something that you know. I think just like mammoth marsh, just like free diving, just like ice bathing. I think. Once we we really go to a personal limit, and sometimes even to the human limits, and if you're talking freediving, like you can hold your breath until a certain point, and there's a human limit. It's not just mental. Same with the extreme cold. Like there are certain limits to it that you have to respect. But I think what we do with Mammut Marsh is that we give people that experience, and that's that's what they what many people have never experienced in their lives. So we um, push them to their limits. And do it in a very positive, very supportive, non-competitive environment. The only competition you have is with yourself. It's one big supportive community that supports you in pushing yourself to your limit. And that's an experience many people haven't ever experienced or haven't experienced in a long time to go to a limit and then take another step and then take another step and then take another step. And then when they overcome that limitation inside of their their minds and they finish the event there's a massive celebration waiting for them so there's like a a, a a bunch of people they've never seen before celebrating them you know giving giving them a hero's welcome and those two in combination i think uh for mammoth mars specifically um make up this this something that people really really want and people really really crave and really desire in a way that makes them so fanatic because it can be life-changing it can be transformative and that's why we're counting i think we're, we're somewhere in the three digits with the number of tattoos that that people have like our logo some have like the whole lower leg you know with like a big like mammoth marsh head and the logo and some landscape or so some have a small mammoth on their forearms and so we're counting the ones we collected i think we started collecting last year we're somewhere in the 120s or 130s right now but there must be a lot more because we only <laughs> see the ones that we see when we're tagged on, on on social media and yeah i hope that answers the question whether um why there's such a hype i think at its foundation it's focusing massively on delivering value in the in in a perfect scenario in a life transforming way for for the for the client for the customer for the person who 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 becomes part of the experience and only then think about how can you make money with it like well are you going to charge for it but first of all fully focus on creating this 
special thing, you know, this this thing that people are really craving. Was this something that you did deliberately from the start? Was it something that you had to kind of course correct over time? Because to me, what what you're saying, yes, it makes logical sense. Yet I don't see a lot of people doing it, right? So I like I'm curious, how did you arrive at this? Did did you perhaps intuitively know this from the beginning? You mean um, what kinds of lessons, inspiration, like for for how to build a brand, a project like that? That it has to be a transformative and simultaneously uh, a safe environment for people, mm-hmm. because those two things don't always go together. Sometimes you see like. CrossFit, for example, comes to mind. It's very competitive. It doesn't have this uh, supportive, I think, aspect. To it. It's more about who is the best, I think. Might be wrong, but that's the impression I have at least. Mm-hmm. So there's a specific mix in my mood march that's, I think, very specific to it. That's why I'm asking. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mix of personal philosophy. So it's the way like we we believed in that way so it could only have become that way so it's very authentic as well so it's it's nothing we 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 didn't sit down and and think about how can how can we create the most appealing brand we sat down and thought about what is it that really motivated us to do that 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 really touched us that really drove us that really ignited that fire in us so I think it's a lot about emotions. Like really think about like what was what was it that that you were feeling, and what are the stories you need to convey to make others feel the same. So I think that's that's very crucial. And in the case of Mammut Marsh, yeah, I think it was a a bit of a finding process. Yes, but the 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 thing that was I would say working was there from the start. So the thing that was just clicking and just attracting people was pretty much there from the start and it's 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 really about what i said before and by packaging that into a brand and the brand positioning so it's really about that and a brand image creating something that's ridiculously appealing and that you hear alex hormozy talk about irresistible offer and i think he has some really good ideas around that although i think in his case it's a lot about creating wealth creating business creating creating revenue which has never been my key objective um i've always also uh, really focused on adding like a personal philosophy adding something that i really want to carry into the world not saying he's not doing that but i um, just just want to borrow the term irresistible offer from him so i think that's the step when you take something that people really really want that's a really solving an issue they're having or b really giving them something they find amazing even if they don't have an an underlying issue in the first place so one of the two and then package that into an appealing brand with with a brand image that transports just that so massive value focusing purely on the person you're serving and second put that whole thing wrap it up in a branding and in a brand image and a brand positioning that really 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 communicates that and another thing i've never really looked much left and right so i've never really looked for too much inspiration like what might any potential competition be doing i was never i was never too interested i was always more interested in creating something really unique out of our own core than learn the best practices 
and I'm I'm not saying don't do don't learn from best practices. I do that all the time when I look at marketing campaigns, for example. I, I um, go out and look like what's the most successful way to do. I mean, you you know best email marketing. Like what's what are uh, what contents working, what flows are working, whatever. So I think looking for best practices is amazing. But when I'm building the the foundation of my business and the foundation of my brand, I don't want to do that. I want to create something that's unique. I don't want to create something that's like others, but it's with a slight edge or with a slight, you know, change. What I'm taking, you've said a lot of things, and I think a lot of things have value out of everything that you've said. But what I really take is that to build like a real community, it, you have to believe in it. It has to be like at the core of what you're building. You can't build something and then say, oh, I'm going to build a community on top. It has to be there from the beginning and you have to be really care about it. And I know, for example, that you care about it. Like I'll just mention a specific example because it comes to my mind, but I'm sure there's others. You're intentional also about the things that you guys are not doing. For example, what's the easiest way to, to, to go about email marketing? Just send discounts. You don't like discounts. You avoid discounts. So I, I think it has to come from a very intentional place. It, it, it can't be like accidental, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's if if it's not something you really want to carry into this world, um, you're not gonna get your heart across, if that makes any sense. So, um, as you know, like there's no content no storytelling that we don't do ourselves so we never go to like some agency and tell them hey create content for us we we go to we go to professionals and look for help when it's when it's about um the medium when it's about the technology to really understand like how can we best like develop strategies for that medium for that technology but every piece of content that we ever put out there we create ourselves whether that's a social media post an ad an email, um, a landing page, like we never give outsource that and give it give it to someone to do it for us because we believe so strongly that only we can really truly communicate communicate because it's coming from such an uh, we can truly communicate our message. I want to say because it's coming from such an authentic place. I think that's what you what you touched upon. Um, I think if you don't really want to bring into the world what you're doing with your project for example i rarely ever use the the term business like um especially in german it sounds even less appealing <laughs> to me in, in that context we always generally talk about project or it's it, it simply it it it's it is a proper business but it never felt appropriate because it um it came from from such a real place and I mean, you can choose anyway. So with the business you're doing, you can choose whether you do something you truly believe in or you do something that's just going to make you money. So you can just do an e-commerce business and uh, sell like shower hats, for example, and you probably won't feel much passion about that, but you might be able to, to become successful with that. Or you might become successful with something you really want to create, you really believe in. So why would you choose the other? Like if the opportunity to really make it successful is there in both cases. And I mean, the, the businesses I've started weren't really in proven markets. So it, it doesn't matter if, if there's a proven market. If you, if you believe in something and you can really authentically create your brand. And what's your brand? Your brand is also every story you ever tell. So every story you ever tell, that's 
how your brand really comes to life. And every story you ever tell, if all those stories... So we are pretty blessed um, at Mammoth Marsh because we don't have to look for stories. We just tell the stories that are truly happening. So we don't have to make up things. We don't have to talk about Mammoth Marsh. We just tell people, hey, this is the experience of that person that finished every single event that we have this year. That's the experience of another person that had like a very bad like cancer prognosis and now is, is hiking 100 kilometers. So now it's easy. Now we just tell the stories that we truly experience because it's real, because it's no nothing we need to make up. We just look what's really, truly happening. And now we just tell the stories. That's awesome. One thing that I want to add to what you said is, that I've noticed uh, that you're doing is that you are also sometimes responding in real time to what's happening. And I don't mean this in, oh, you're, you're disorganized. Not at all. That, that's not at all what I mean. I mean that you have your ears to the pulse, if you will, of how the people are responding to what you're doing and then you're adjusting things accordingly. And again, I think this is also another thing that's very intentional. It comes from a position of caring about the community. I was having a, a talk actually recently and someone was saying that it's best if you can plan like literally everything, all marketing activities for a brand for, I don't know, six months in advance or even a year in advance. I was thinking, how can that be? Like, what if something doesn't work? What, what, what if the, the conditions change? And then there's this side and then there's your side, which is very real time and active. Do you think that, like, am I, am I correct, basically? Do you think that also plays a role that you guys are very much responding to the dynamics of what's happening? Yes, definitely. It, and it's, it's a human thing to do, right? It's like, that, that's one feedback we get all the time. It's like, yeah, you feel the humanness, you feel the character, you feel the personality of you guys. You know, it's so human. Because we are, you know, because we are responding, because we are like really there. And I, I think both are right. So I'm doing a mix of both. So basically, when we're looking at social media campaigns, uh, well, social media ad campaigns, Google ad campaigns, but also social media campaigns, we plan them for also for the whole year. So we already know kind of i mean now it's the beginning of the year so we might not know everything but in a few weeks we'll basically know like this is the outline of our marketing this is when we're going to have campaigns this is when, when we're going to have and as you also know we really like to try to always find new creative approaches in our marketing and new creative campaign ideas for example this year we had something we called hell week where we made people hike as many steps in this case we were there was a step challenge as they can so and then we make it a big campaign and there's not even a primary business intention behind it but then thousands of people join it and it's creating buzz and it's creating user-generated content so those kinds of campaigns we we generally plan so we have a campaign plan we know what we're going to do we know which channels we're going to tackle this year which new channels we're going to try out if we're going to get into sms or whatsapp more that we're that we're not really uh, using much yet but then what you're mentioning is if we observe something so we see uh, that campaign didn't really resonate that what what people are commenting is really giving us a different picture of what we what we originally expected or what we originally thought then of course we adjust so sometimes when we feel like now we, maybe we did something a bit too much we sent out a bit too much then we may just decide okay let's just pause for a week or two you know as you know for example with the 
pop up collecting email um, collecting subscribers when we've run that pop-up for a while and then we've had another pop-up campaign, we might just give it some time to rest. And those decisions sometimes might be gut decisions as well, but guess we will never have the whole info and you, you always have a, a component of gut in marketing. When you do good marketing, I think. You do and I think it's a good thing, yes. I think it's a good thing. If you just go by the numbers, you miss out a lot of context behind the numbers. How was COVID uh, for Mahmoud Mars? Like, was it like, how did that affect the project? I was, in a way, for us, it was what we were, I mean, it was the ultimate test for us in the in the sense of, okay, now we can really prove that we mean what we say, <laughs> that no matter what happens, we won't stop and we will deal with it. So, of course, at first, it came as a big surprise. We had a season of events planned and then nothing was possible. and. So I think for many, especially like for events and we're big events and travel, generally most of these industries suffered a lot from it. And of course, we suffered as well. So we had a drop in numbers in 2020. I would say generally we came out stronger out of the pandemic. And I don't mean that in some wishy-washy, ah, we <laughs> endured. And I literally mean that like we became super creative. So for example, we had one event very early on in April 2020. We had one event called Hike at Home, where we made people hike in their own apartments, in their living rooms, and gave them 24 hours. And that was a donation event. So we it was a pay what you want, and we're going to donate everything for COVID projects in poorer countries. Because back then, we just wanted to do everything we can to help with the, with the COVID problem. So we did that, and thousands of people People, you know, some people in in like a, a 15 square meter like student home just <laughs> hiked in circles for like 4,000 times, you know, and and that's what I also mean. I mean, and during COVID, of course, we had to become especially creative, but that's what I also mean with creative campaigns. So we did the hike at home thing. We did something we called the around the world challenge. So um, once again, people hiked on their own. But that was when when they were allowed to to get back out. In Germany, they were strictly always allowed to get back out. But when we also wanted to encourage them to get back out again, um, but still everything was closed. So everybody hiked on their own. And the goal was to collect the 40,070, I think, kilometers once around the world with, with our community. And of course, we absolutely demolished that goal. <laughs> like It was like, in, in the end, we, we hiked around the world two, two and a half times with 100 and something uh, thousand kilometers. And so those kinds of campaigns we did during COVID for us, it was really like the test. It was like, yeah, of course, we're, we're not going to stop. Of course, we're not going to give up. Of course, we're going to deal with this. And we didn't lose a single employee. Like We didn't have to let go of any employees, which was also quite important for us. So literally, I think with those campaigns and with those activities we organized for the community, we came out stronger out of the pandemic than we were before. I'm curious, like in a practical sense, how do the logistics of the events work? Um, that's like a team from Mammoth Mars could there in advance, like preparing the, like how does it work in a practical sense? 
like assuming that I book um, a ticket and I need to go somewhere? Like what does the preparation from your side look like? It's massive. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of stuff. We we could we could fill a podcast just with that. So we have our uh, event management team, and they do just that. So we have more event managers than we have marketing uh, team members, and all they do basically all year round. You can imagine like most events are not very small anymore and so it's thousands and thousands of people participating and so it's in terms of permits in terms of planning the route you know like avoiding avoiding sections that wouldn't be wouldn't be appropriate wouldn't be where where, where those amounts of people wouldn't be able to pass safely paramedics um, all sorts of e- equipment that needs to be rented logistics like we have our a warehouse where we have all our equipment you know like the gate at the start at the finish all the all the the technology the speakers the um everything that's um that we like certificates like uh wrist wristbands and and all that so it's it's a in itself it's a big big <laughs> challenge to 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 organize and to plan those events and, I suppose every uh, country is yeah. also slightly different, right? Like now that you're moving, for example, to Spain also, they probably have their own rules. Probably, yeah. Probably you need to think of different things. Do you generally plan to expand all over Europe over time or even outside of Europe, I guess? We thought of all that and we we considered all that, but... For now, we're still really focusing on our core market, that's Germany. So the one that's really working and the one where we're really still growing. So we focus on that. And, you know, I value health over growth. <laughs> so you can always, you know, you know, one thing I experienced when I started my first project, so the VPA business, my goal was to grow it to a certain point so that I have my financial freedom and my freedom to do what I was planning to do at that time. So different things like travel, for example. And when I reached that point, I was okay with that. So I didn't force it to grow past that. And this may sound counterintuitive <laughs> to to some because we're growing pretty well. <laughs> we're, we're growing at pretty decent rates. But what I mean is you can always grow more. You can always, you know, you can always push it more. And if it would mean like a lot of additional stress for me and my team, I wouldn't do it. So that's why we're not st- too focused on oh, what's every market we could enter right now but we're more focused on also just doing really well what we're doing while still like growing at a very good rate i actually meant to ask you why have i never seen you stressed or anxious ever but i i think you partially answered it right now it's about prioritizing things well and also you as you mentioned before, you're intentionally doing challenging things like diving uh, or like uh, ice uh, baths, etc., or cold baths, uh, so that you can kind of be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Is that it? Or is there some other secret to zero stress uh, <laughs> version? <laughs> because you really, I've never seen you stressed at all. Like you, 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 your eyes have never seen seem stressed to me no i think you haven't seen me stressed but i can be. <laughs> <laughs> and and i and and i and i have been but i think you know it's probably the same thing if you go through hardships afterwards you don't get stressed by many things so 
With Mammut Marsh, we've really suffered as well. <laughs> so with Mammut Marsh, we, especially at the beginning, you know, when we were still doing it kind of at the side and also, of course, back then, it was just me and my co-founders doing everything. So I was, you know, doing routes and working on permits and doing the marketing and doing the website and doing technology. So in the past, there were points when I was properly burned out completely. So we had one event and I remember I couldn't even sleep anymore because I was so stressed about the idea of having to organize everything until that day. And I knew that so many things were still pending and open. And that's a long time ago now. That's like six, seven years ago at least. But once again, I mean, we we went through the hardships building this very business. So we went through the periods where we really had to fight, where we really hit our limit, where really everything was telling us, nah, stop that, stop that. Don't do this. This is so hard. And we kept going. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to add that so I can be properly stressed. <laughs> and I have been. And I think for that reason also, I don't allow it as much anymore. So I, I guess I, I know my, maybe I know my boundaries better, where before I was just absolutely, you know, going to my limit where I was almost passing out <laughs> because I was so, so burnt out. And I guess that that also teaches you no, that's not working. You can do that for a short period. You can do that sometimes when it's necessary, you know, really go, go all in. But if that's the normal, that just all the time it's like that, it's just, what's the point? It's just not worth it. It's just not working. Do you think that if you could turn back in time, like would, would that be perhaps the thing you would do differently or like is something else? I think, you know, sometimes when you look back, it's easy to say, oh, I was overthinking then, I was too stressed, etc. But maybe it's because you were overthinking and maybe it's because you were stressed that it actually worked as well as it did, no? Like there's also that argument to be made. Yes. I mean, if I could go back and tell myself, hey, chill out, there's another way that's maybe better. <laughs> And, and by, by chill out, by, and 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 if I if I say chill out, there, there needs to be some intensity. So it's it's there needs to be some energy. There needs to be some intensity. So it's not that there's no intensity in in the way we do things and the way I do things. But if if you had the chance to go back and and tell yourself, hey, come on, take it slowly, you know, don't don't overdo it right now. Maybe I wouldn't have learned the lesson. So in 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 there. That, that's 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 the reason why I guess I learned a different way of doing this uh, because I went through that maybe without it I would never have I probably overdid it back then with the intensity but I learned intensity <laughs> so I learned intensity and with all the all the overdoing it and all the burning out and being being stressed about it um, I still managed somehow so I, it's it's still you still learn even if you go to that extreme. You can handle it. And so afterwards, if you learn, okay. It's kind of incredible. I'm not sure you're realizing this, but what we're talking about is a direct parallel to Mammut Mars itself, where you're doing something with extreme yeah. intensity. And then at the end, you like you're leaving it stronger, ultimately wiser. It is, yeah. Would you have any first of all, let me take a step back. Would you say that now, because you started the project many, many years ago, would you say that now is a good idea to start like that sort of project? Not not 
the same project, obviously, but something that's community-based, something that's outdoors, that has human interaction. Like, is this a good time to go about this? I think it's it's a good time to do whatever is really calling you. I would say that is is it a good time for to do outdoor things? Yeah, probably. But has there always, has there ever been a bad time? I'm not sure. I, I think if if someone really does something with passion and with belief and with with a mission, then it's a good time. And yeah, of course, like for example. The VPA business, um, it wouldn't have been a good time to start it in 1980. Like, would have been people would have been overwhelmed with the idea of remote work, of having someone that that you know works from their computers. I'm not sure what level of computer they had. <laughs> so, um, of course, there there is a component of timing. But once again, if you look too much into, ah, is it a good time to to start to launch that product to get into get into a certain market? There is a, a bit of a risk that you're looking too much for the business side of it right away, and that you're not looking for what is it that I truly want to create, what I that I truly want to build, and I think it's always better to look at that first. So I always see it like looking for two thumbs up. One thumb is inside of yourself. That's what I'm talking about right now. So that's like, is this something that I really want to create, that I really want to carry into this world? If I feel that, thumbs up. And then the other is what we sometimes call market tests. And that can be just asking a few friends or user tests, you know, just asking a few friends to get some quick feedback. It's, it never makes sense to, to, to waste a lot of time to do this. But yeah, I think those two thumbs up what really matters. And there's no point in, in approaching this too much from, from a perspective of, oh, where are the big opportunities right now? It does make sense, of course, to look at what are, what are general dynamics, like what are things that are there right now, what are things that are coming up right now? That definitely makes sense. But most things, most markets, most of us can think of generally have have enough size and have enough potential to take off when you really do something with passion. And as I said in the very beginning, when you really try to create something that people truly crave and people that truly resonates with people. I agree with you. I think when people listen to this recording, like some of them like me are going to be keen to try Mahmood Mars. So do you have any like tips for first timers in case... Someone is interested. Like, what's the like top three things they should know? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm smiling a bit because coincidentally today I was doing another podcast and I was asked the, the exact same <laughs> question. So I'm thinking, oh, hmm, do I give the exact same answer? It was probably a good answer that I've already given. Nobody will know. You can do. It. <laughs> you can do. It. <laughs> now I now I spoiled it. <laughs> um, I would say first thing is what you just did. Commit. So decide I'm going to do this and sign up, you know, not just commit. Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to do this, but really commit and, and you know, pick the date. If, if, if it's one of our events, pick an event, really commit to it. Um, even if there's still doubt, because there's always going to be doubt because we're, we're, when you do something you've never done before, of course you're, you're, how, how how should you know if you will do it? How should you know if you can do it with ease? Because you've never done it before. That's the nature of growth. That's the nature of you know overcoming boundaries. So even if there's doubt, and even 
yeah, just just commit, just decide and commit. Second thing, do a bit of research and preparation. Like people who sign up with us, they get that in, in our emails. You may need to translate a few things, but prepare a little bit. So be aware what kind of equipment you need, for example, like you need a certain certain type of shoes, socks, outfit, a backpack, you know, some a light for the night. So do some research, do some preparation. You don't need to hike not even 50 kilometers to prepare for 100K, but you need to know you can hike longer distances without like having your feet completely blistered after 10. You know, if you do that, no, no chance of doing this. And then let me give you four. <laughs> the third one would be, that's the mind. Your mind will tell you at some point, ah, you're not ready. Even before, maybe even before the event, ah, you're not ready. During the event, nah, you see, I told you you weren't ready. <laughs> so there will be those limiting beliefs and gently push through them. You know, if you need push through them a hundred times while still being intelligent about it. So you know, there are there are real limitations to the human body. So there are limits. Your body might tell you, hey, this is not good for me. And so you also have to be mindful of that and respect that if it's really there. And then the fourth thing is, you know, I noticed that people, whenever you do something extreme, people tend to want to stop you and tend to want to hold you back. True. Which is... Yeah, it makes some sense. People people want you to be like themselves. People want to feel comfortable about you. If you all of a sudden do very different things that they, they wouldn't do, they might feel uncomfortable around you even. So people, without meaning any harm, will try to hold you back whenever you do something that's extreme, that's dangerous, that they they don't do themselves. And I've uh, experienced that, for example, with the freediving, my parents telling me, why the hell are you doing that thing? Do something else. Pick pick another thing you do. Or yesterday when I was ice bathing in, in, in the lake, once again, like, oh, that can be dangerous. Is that good for the body? So you will always get that when you do extreme things. You always get that kind of, you know, people people holding you back because it's not something they would do and i think that's quite important to to be aware of that and to not let it stop you to respect it to listen to it if it makes any sense i mean generally i think we're very capable to distinguish is is that really valuable advice or is it just someone holding me back because they don't do those things or they don't dare doing those things that's awesome thank you so much Bastian. it was really awesome to to have you and i think you said a lot of things so thank you for taking the time really appreciate it thank you so much for the invitation and uh yeah um, for the conversation if you are a business leader with an interesting story to tell, reach out to me directly through LinkedIn and let's explore whether it would be a good fit for the show. My name is George Capernaros. That's George, K-A-P-E-R-N-A-R-O-S. And if you'd like to have your email and SMS program audited by a world-class agency for free, head over to yocto.agency, click through to book a call and add the note that you are a listener or viewer of the CEO After Dark show. See you on the next episode.